Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 111, The SpaceX Dragon. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, leaders, all to let you know the coolest parts about what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. So we're once again launching from American soil with two different vehicles developed by two different companies, SpaceX and Boeing. It's part of the commercial crew program at NASA to enable the capability of launching people into space by private businesses. Today, we're going to highlight one of those vehicles, the SpaceX Dragon. All the way from Hawthorne, California, we connected with Benji Reed. He's the director of crew mission management for SpaceX, based in Hawthorne. And we go over more about the vehicle itself, the testing and training so far, including a mission to the International Space Station, and what's to look forward to in the near future. So here we go. All you need to know about the SpaceX Dragon with Mr. Benji Reed. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit to the red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Benji Reed, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I know you're a very busy man, and uh, I'm very excited to go through all the things that are the SpaceX Crew Dragon with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really glad to be a part of the podcast today. Well, I think uh, I think how we're going to start this is we're going to start from the very beginning, and it's going to get to the very ground level here. We're going to talk about what this vehicle is and what it looks like. So so let's start there. What is the SpaceX Crew Dragon? So the SpaceX Crew Dragon is a space capsule. Um, it's, uh, let's see, it's about 13 feet in diameter. Um, it's about 27 feet tall. Um, and um, it's uh, kind of the product of a, a lot of great history and heritage that we have on our own Dragon. Uh, Dragon 1, the cargo Dragon that we've been flying for a number of years now, in fact, coming into our 19th cargo mission for that Dragon. Um, and then it also built on the heritage and history um, of, uh, of all the NASA um, capsules out there, as well as other capsules like the Soyuz. Um, and uh, it, it's been, it's actually pretty exciting to see us kind of culminate and come to the, the newest, most advanced um, capsule and spaceship that we're being able to put together. Yeah, but that but that capsule design and you said, you know, pulling from the heritage, it really has to do with the shape of, you know, the capsule and what it's meant to do as a space vehicle, right? There's there's not much that can beat that capsule design. That that's exactly right. In fact, there's a really interesting history on it. Um, if you look back um, into the early days of hypersonics, um, um, you know, getting out out of supersonics, we we're looking into hypersonics back in the early '50s, and 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 how do you how do you actually do reentry? And there was a lot of notions. In fact, if you look at some of uh, von Braun's early notions of of what that would look like, they had these very sleek, almost needle needle-like designs of, of rockets and, and spacecraft that would re-enter with these sort of knife-edge-like wings. And what they discovered um, was that uh, as, as, as much as sort of intuitively that seemed to make sense to them, that you would kind of cut through the atmosphere and cut through the air that way, um, that in fact what happens is you don't have enough of a sort of a shockwave buffer in front of that material as you're coming through because you have so much friction heating you need to actually slow yourself down a little bit and, and build up a, a larger surface area of shock wave 
Um, and so to do that, you actually have to blunt um, your, your reentry. So instead of this sort of needle and knife edge approach, you actually come into a, um, a more of a rounded shape, which is where we get the capsule from. And um, some of the early pioneers in, um, in uh, aviation and dynamics basically came up with this and said, hey, you know what, the physics says we should go to a capsule shape. And as they went into wind tunnel tests, they discovered it was exactly the case. You're going to melt off the ends of pointy things, but you could have a nice big round capsule shape um, with an appropriate heat shield, an appropriate thermal protection system around the vehicle. You could actually make it work really well. And, uh, and so we're kind of building on those decades of, of heritage um, as we move in towards the, the Crew Dragon. Yeah. And you, you sort of hinted at, you know, this, this next generation, you know, this is kind of a, this is, this is a new vehicle that we're talking about. So what are some of those cool features that separate the, the new Crew Dragon from some of those heritage vehicles you're talking about? Absolutely. So um, probably one of the biggest changes that we like to think about um, when we look at Crew Dragon as we move into, especially as we move away from, say, the cargo vehicle, which is that we have a launch escape system. Um, so as much as you do everything you can to, to keep the vehicle safe and ensure mission success, you kind of want that one extra level of safety to make sure that you could carry the, the crew away in case something came up, right? Mm-hmm. In case something's going on in the pad, something's happening um, with the Falcon, you're like, boy, I really want to get the crew away. Um, and so how do you do that? So you look at this, these launch escape systems. Now, this is not a new concept, generally speaking. Um, like the Apollo spacecraft and others had, um, you know, these launch escape towers. And that's basically a, a, a structure that goes on top of the capsule um, and has little rockets on it, and it pulls away the capsule, if you will. It's kind of hauling the capsule away um, at, in case there's some sort of emergency. In our case, we have an integrated launch escape system. And, um, and those are in the form of the Super Draco engines that we have on the vehicle. So Dragon has 12 Draco engines um, that are used for in-space orbiting and maneuvering and control to get to where you need to go when you're in space. And then it also has eight Super Draco engines. And that's one of the big things that's new. And, and also an innovation, again, from that long heritage um, because they're now integrated into the capsule itself, into the whole system itself. So instead of having this sort of separate structure that's, that's hauling you away, it's pulling you away, you actually have these engines that are pushing you away. They're integrated within the system. Um, and the, one of the big benefits of doing that is that you're able to um, cover launch escape capability all the way from launch into orbit. We don't have any of what they call the blackout zones where um, you're, not, you're not covered by any kind of launch escape system. There were, on some of the earlier capsule systems, like Apollo, there were blackout periods where you didn't really have that kind of coverage. Um, the space shuttle itself didn't have any kind of launch escape system, of this nature at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's, yeah, that's, that's the logic of it, right? So yeah. you, you're talking about, I'm imagining this capsule shape, right? It gets narrower towards the top. And then you mentioned this tower that sort of sticks out the top, and that's where the engines are, and it's it's this pulling phenomenon that's that's pulling the the capsule that's right underneath it now this pushing uh this pushing technique with the super draco engines the logic there is you fill in the gaps of when you can actually use this this capability is that right that's right and particularly particularly because it's actually integrated into the capsule right you don't have to worry about this separate structure that you're going to have to jettison at some point right um you you're just you're part of the whole capsule now yeah. Um, and, and it stays with you um, actually all the way home. Even, you know, it stays on orbit. And when you when it's time to come home, 
it's all part of that same capsule that's coming all the way home. Yeah, that's a big that's a big part because after after launch, shortly after launch and uh, orbital insertion, one of the first thing that goes on a crew vehicle is the launch escape system. But now you're carrying it with you the whole time. Yep, that's exactly right. All right, I like that. What else? What else is cool about the um, uh, the Dragon? You know what I, I really like about Crew Dragon too is that we have our integrated solar panels um, that are that are that are body mounted on the Dragon trunk. And let me back up and explain a little bit about the trunk and, and kind of the overall structure of. Oh Dragon. yeah, we kind of skipped that part. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably probably good to throw a little bit of that in there. So so yeah, we talked about the fact that you have a capsule and um, you know it's kind of this teardrop design that we think of um, when you think of a space capsule. Um, and um, it, but then there's another important part of Dragon which we call the trunk and the trunk serves two purposes. One is that it's um, a structural element to basically join the Dragon vehicle to the Falcon 9 rocket. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's basically that interface piece that goes between the two. Um, the, the trunk also on Crew Dragon serves another purpose, which is aerodynamic stability in the case of what we call an abort or an escape, which we were just talking about. Hmm. If you actually have to get away from the Falcon really fast, um, you want a little bit of extra aerodynamic stability um, in those cases. And so you'll notice that on Crew Dragon, the trunk has little wings on it, little fins, I should say, um, on the sides. Um, and that helps with that aerodynamic stability. The other thing that um, the trunk is doing is it actually has these solar panels mounted around the sides. Um, if you look at the current Cargo Dragon, we also have a trunk. Um, does a similar thing in terms of being the interface and the structural interface between Dragon and Falcon. Um, it also provides power, but those are solar panels that basically extend out, they unfold out from the sides of the trunk. And that's a big innovation that we have now on Crew Dragon with these body-mounted solar panels. What you're getting there is you're getting a great amount of simplicity. You've eliminated all of these mechanisms um, and, and everything else that goes with them um, for, for having these, these uh, solar arrays that, that unfold on the Cargo Dragon. Now they're just body-mounted, so no, no, no more of those mechanisms. We're actually able with the, the current solar arrays to actually get a higher efficiency and better technology solar arrays overall. Um, so we can do better from our power management as well with those. So that's another big innovation that I like a lot on the trunk. Wow. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, you're, you're comparing a little bit of the Crew Dragon versus the Cargo Dragon. It seems like a lot of the the logic of these elements that you're putting into the design is based off your experience of what you've done with flying all of these Cargo Dragons um, over these past couple of years with NASA, right? That's right. That's exactly right. I, it's crazy for me to think, um, you know, kind of based on what I go back to when I started here at SpaceX and, and, um, and where we were at, because we had... We were just about to launch our first Dragon to go to space station, right? Which is not only super cool because it's the first Dragon, but it was the first private spacecraft to ever go to the space station. Um, in fact, the first private spacecraft to get launched and orbited. And I had come just after um, Dragon, the very first uh, Dragon had gone up and done its orbit. And just before the next Dragon was going to go and go to space station. And now you, you now fast forward, and we're coming up here on the Cirrus 19 uh, mission coming up, wrapping up Cirrus 18, Cirrus 19 mission. And that's crazy. It's so cool to me to think about how many times we have carried cargo um, to and from the space station. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, so back to your, your point, we're building on all of that, um, all of that experience, all of those times of flying, of, of, of operating Draco engines, of designing and building those of, of, you know, fixing problems, finding learning lessons, making things better and safer, coming home on our parachutes, 
all of that, every time we fly, we learn so much. And we get to apply all of that to the crew dragon. That's right. Now, also when it comes to flying, and this is a big part of the journey that is the crew dragon, is the vehicle that it's going to fly on, or the vehicle that's going to actually carry it into orbit. And I believe that's the Falcon 9, right? This is kind of a, along the same things that we're using for Cargo Dragon. Yep, you got it. That's exactly right. And, and I'm really glad that you bring that up, because it's an important point. A lot of times we focus when we think about um, the Dragon missions, we focus exclusively on the Dragon vehicle, and of course that makes a lot of sense because that's a really cool spacecraft and, and that's what's kind of doing a lot of the mission. Um, but it's super important to think about all the other aspects of what it takes to actually fly. And um, the next one, of course, that, like you said, is the Falcon, the Falcon 9 rocket, which has now a massive heritage, also developed at the same time um, as the original Dragon as part of the cargo program with NASA. Um, but now, since then, has um, you know completely developed and, and really revolutionized the whole industry in how we do launch vehicles, and so we get to build on all of that as well for crew. Yeah, and part of that part of that innovation when it comes to the Falcon Nine is some of the recoverable elements of the of the Falcon after it launches. Is that right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Now yeah. what? Now what about uh, now what about crew vehicles? What has to change with the Falcon Nine itself to support those crew launches? And uh, and and how how's that all going to work once we transition that way? Oh yeah, for sure. So you know, one of the things that we try to do um, at SpaceX is that we don't like to try, try to avoid having kind of these two different levels of quality. Where you're sort of like, well, this is quality that we need to that we can kind of use whenever, and this is quality that we're going to do for. Um, uh, for, for human spaceflight. Hmm. Um, and when I say quality, I mean, you know, everything, you know, whether it's how we, reliability of design, safety and reliability of design, of fabrication, of build, of integration, of test, and, and of course of operation. That whole picture of how safe and how reliable are we going to be, ultimately, you really want to learn how to do it at the top best level and practice that all the time. So in a way, we actually look at things like Falcon and we fly Falcon all the time. We want to say, well, every single mission counts. Every single mission is important, not just for all of our customers, but for also the sake of learning and applying those lessons when we do start to fly people. So it's a kind of a win-win when you, when you take that, that philosophy and say, all right, how do I make sure I'm going to do the best and make every single mission count? Um, and so on one hand, you, you try not to have a lot of differences. You really don't want to, because every time you get to fly some satellite or some other mission, you're getting lessons, you're getting heritage, and you're making it safer for crew, as long as you've kept the same configuration, more or less, as long as you're basically flying the same vehicle, the same kind of operation, this is really important. So that said, we continue to try to do that, try to keep it the same, but to your question, what, what, what have we changed? Well, probably one of the biggest things that we've done is we've looked across the whole Falcon vehicle and said, all right, what do we need to beef up? What needs to be more fault-tolerant? And one of the things we may end up talking about more here is, is this general concept of fault tolerance. And it says, that's basically saying, well, how many failures or faults can you sustain and still be able to complete the mission and or still be able to get everybody home safely? Um, and kind of one of the, the basic rules of thumb that we have um, on the crew program is two fault tolerance. You kind of need to have this two fault tolerance across the whole system so that anything, any system or subsystem can sustain two faults or two failures and then um, be able to continue and, and, and or keep everybody safe. Um, and so we looked across all of our systems, including the Falcon, and said, where, where do we need to do that? Now, obviously, there's some places where you don't really have, like, 
redundancy where you don't have, I'm not going to have two separate rockets to launch one vehicle. That doesn't actually make a lot of sense. So you look at how well, how do I structurally get okay? Do I have enough margin in my design and in my analysis and then demonstrate it a test in order to say, yeah, I, I'm actually going to be okay. I've got plenty of margin or I've got enough redundancy um, or some other solution that helps meet that fault tolerance. And we did a lot of that kind of um, thinking and, and, and analysis and, and testing on Falcon as well as Dragon as well as our ground systems to make sure that we could do that. Yeah, um, that's a big conversation we, we talk about a lot. Actually, with a lot of the engineers on this podcast, too, is this this fault tolerance, this idea of redundancy, right? So if something were to go wrong, you have something else that can that could back it up. And that has to do with the with the reliability of the whole thing. And it, it's, it's definitely something to appreciate, right? Just how how perfectly everything has to run to make this thing work. It looks so simple from the outside, right? Big tube lights on fire, sends things to space. But it's so <laughs> more complicated, so much more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's something definitely to appreciate. I want to go back to, uh, you talked about, you talked about the, you know, Crew Dragon, you were talking about pulling from uh, heritage designs and stuff. I know, I know when it comes to this commercial crew program that, that's working with NASA, it's, it's, it's different, right? It's, it's, we're working with commercial companies and it's not like this traditional way of doing business where NASA has, has these requirements and has a contract for someone to fulfill these requirements. Now we're working with commercial industry. So can you talk about what it's like working with NASA and, and being your own innovative commercial company, coming up with these designs and still, you know, fulfilling what has to be done for providing crew transportation to the International Space Station? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I would say is we love NASA. Um, you know, NASA is like uh, one of our top, most important customers. Um, they've been with us from the beginning. You know, the, when I talk about the develop, development of the cargo program, um, what was called the COTS program, that was just super critical to the development of Dragon and Falcon 9 from the very beginning. And NASA is a, is a great partner in that way. Um, and, and But it's a good question. How, how do you really make it work, right? Um, how, do, how do we put this together? And I think one of the, the keys is that, in commercial space and in the model that NASA is trying to help set up from a commercial space perspective, it's, well, look, we want to get something done. So now we're going to go out to, you know, uh, the commercial industry. We're going to go out to these companies. We're going to say, all right, who can do this for us? But we're not going to tell you exactly how to do it. We're going to tell you what the ultimate goal is, what's the objective. And in this case, for example, we're going to transport astronauts to and from the space station reliably and safely. So we need somebody to be able to go do that. Um, we're going to have a certain set of requirements that you need to meet, and that's always a big point of debate as to like how many requirements and how prescriptive should those requirements be. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, the, for example, on this program, the commercial crew program, they try to do a pretty good job of balancing the amount of prescriptiveness of those of those requirements versus just kind of saying, well, you got to transport four people. That's a requirement, right? Yep. Versus, well, you have to exactly apply this standard and do this different thing uh, when you're when you're working with metals or something like that. So there's these kind of different debates about how much you apply, but ultimately, of course, that's all on contract and you go and say, all right, I got to go meet these, this set of requirements. So when it comes to actually working with NASA to do that, the goal is to work in an insight um, environment as opposed to an oversight environment. Um, and I think that's very important. And, uh, and again, on this program, I think NASA finds a re- does a really good job of finding that balance and and really applying insight. 
where and what that means is they get a we, we kind of show them everything right they're partners we're partners together and we work together to see well how are we designing things why are we applying these different standards why do we think other standards apply instead of these these first set what are we what kind of tests are we doing um, are we doing enough testing do we do enough analysis what's the margin on those analyses all these kinds of questions that come up and we need to have good engineer to engineer conversations about that. Um, and we try to do that. And so we try to embed um, our and NASA engineers together to be able to talk through things and work through things. And that's part of that insight role where we're giving NASA lots and lots of insight. They have access to all of the, the work that we do, all of the paperwork and designs that we do. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it sounds like a relationship, right? So, so yeah. they're knowing what you guys are doing, and then I'm sure you're pulling from NASA. You know, what did you used to do? Oh, here's data and, and testing we did on XYZ. So is, is there a lot of, like, data sharing, I guess, on both sides? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So we, we share a ton of data with them, and then they share. They give us a lot of com- comments and feedback and response back to us. But they also have a wealth of industry, of, a wealth of knowledge from NASA programs as well as the broader industry. Um, and they try to share that with us as well so that we can hopefully, you know, ultimately develop the very best design that we can. All right. I think that lays the foundation pretty nicely. I think um, let's go into some of the, the testing and training, how, how we're taking this concept with all these features and these relationships with NASA and, and putting, them, putting them to use. So, so let's talk about what's been done so far when it comes to Crew Dragon, when it comes to testing this vehicle. What have we done so far? Um, you know, that's a great question because I love tests. We love tests. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, we often like to think, you know, the most important thing is, is getting data and, and, and taking that data and applying it to be able to actually go fly. And the best way to do that is do lots of tests. Mm-hmm. And one of the early tests that we did in this program, for example, was we started building out the um, avionics system, the electronic system, right, of the Dragon. Um, early on in creating our hardware and hardware in the loop tables, our HIDL tables, um, basically where you take all the electronics boxes and, and and start to lay them out with all the harnessing on a table, and you're kind of running this um, virtual environment on flight-like hardware, um, and that way you can start to actually see how the vehicle is going to function um, electronically, but also in software space. You can start to develop all of the software that you're laying on top. Um, of the electronics and you're and you're running the vehicle that way. Um, that's a really important early test, and that was actually one of our very first big milestones that we went through many years ago on the program. Um, so that that that's an example of the kinds of subsystem and then system level tests that we start early on. At the same time, you're doing all of this qualification testing um, on the components and subsystems. Um, you know, and I think I'm sure you, most of your listeners are aware of qualification testing. But ultimately, what you do is you say, well, what are all the environments? that a component has to go through um, and uh, or a subsystem has to go through and, and say, well, what's the maximum cold, maximum heat that you're going to see? What, what are the maximum dynamic environments that you might see? These sorts of things. And then you actually put these further margins on them. You go, well, I'm going to actually test my design to go colder or hotter or see a higher vibration level. And then you run all of these tests, all of your components through all of these tests, your designs to prove those out. So we've, we've been doing that from the beginning and continuing to do that going on to make sure everything is fully qualified. Then you go to these other really big system level tests. So I kind of talked about that hardware in the loop, HIDL testing table, uh, HIDL table testing that we, that we did early on. Also early on, we went ahead and we did a pad um, abort test. And our launch escape system, our launch abort system, um, we had that initial design ready to go early on. And we built a capsule and had it on the pad. We didn't have it on a rocket, but we had it on the pad. 
um, down at the Cape and um, ignited the, uh, the Super Draco engines and popped the Dragon off to show that you could get off the pad really fast and um, open the parachutes and come down safely into the ocean. And that was a good example of a system-level uh, test that we did as well. Since then, there's just everything in the middle between you know, all those component-level qualification tests to those sorts of system-level tests. We do all kinds of structural tests of the trunk, of the Dragon structure overall, um, and, and, and onward. And then you get into some of the other kinds of kind of you know cool and interesting systems as well. For example, like spacesuits, right? Oh yeah. Uh, and so you have to do um, uh, lots lots of testing. Just spacesuit is a piece of hardware, just like everything else. Um, and I remember one of my favorite tests uh, that we did was um, it was the first time we did a vacuum chamber test, a suited vacuum chamber test. So somebody actually had to get into the spacesuit. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, get it all set up and make sure everything was, was on right and, and the pressure was going to come through correctly, um, and then pump out all the air in the chamber that they were in and show that they could be fine in a vacuum um, wearing the suit. And, uh, and it was actually um, kind of the chief engineer for the spacesuit program who wore the suit himself to, to demonstrate that it would be safe. Um, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, if, if if anyone's gonna put himself on the line, it's gonna be the guy who's in charge of the whole thing. Yeah, there you exactly. go. That's that's confidence in your design. Not not bad. But again, it's taken. Uh, you know, you're 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 not kidding when you say you guys love tests. You're you're talking about every form of test, and um, it's it's all about the idea of testing is making sure that this part is going to work, right? It's is is it is it structurally sound? Is this are the engines firing right in the scenario where we did need to have an abort right off the pad? Is is everything going to go just fine? Um, and these are all these are all very very important to actually conducting a mission. So I kind of wanted to skip ahead to. When you guys actually conducted a mission, Demo One, that was earlier this year, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, and it's a good segue too because that was technically a test, yeah, a true system test end to end. Yeah, that was earlier this year. It was March, and it was amazing. <laughs> I, 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 I was super excited the day we came home, and like I don't think that enthusiasm has waned at all. <laughs> that is awesome. It's, it's, it was one of the coolest things um, in my career uh, to, to have seen that that happen, and it was just a lot of. Um, a huge amount of work and, um, and effort um, on everybody here at SpaceX and, of course, all of our NASA partners um, to see that happen. And it, and it was. It was and it, what was cool about that test is that it was almost flawless in the way that it ran. We learned a lot of things from it, but most of our predictions we hit right down the line. And, and it was a full test. We launched off of um, 39A, our pad. We um, launched on the Falcon 9 in the configuration that we expect to fly for, for crew. Um, got Dragon on orbit. Dragon did its initial orbital um, operations, and they got to space station. We docked, and it was the first time um, that a U.S. vehicle has autonomously ad- uh, autonomously docked to the space station ever, um, and uh, hung out on station. Um, probably one of the coolest things I've seen was uh, having uh, crew board Dragon get inside <laughs> there and and check things out and do some of the work that they needed to do, and then we came home. And uh, and uh, watched as the parachute system just performed beautifully, and uh, and the recovery crew went out and, and got dragon. It was it was great. It was amazing. Yeah, I had a I had a um, 
the pleasure, I would, I'll say, of, of being a part of that mission. This was uh, in terms of the public affairs operations of, of things working. You know, we, we worked with SpaceX very closely to do this joint broadcast and show, you know, I- exactly what you're saying. All the work that went with all the teams um, and this integration that, that led to this moment, this, this compilation of tests to, to prove that this vehicle was going to be able to fly to Earth. And a couple of those elements, you, I mean, you went over nicely of all these different things. I know another another key part of the test was um, this anthropomorphic figure that was inside, right? Ripley. What was that all about? Um, yeah. So part of doing the whole test overall, of course, is just gathering a lot of data. Right. And um, and just for again, just a quick step back. Um, you'd mentioned you said testing um, to see how everything's going to work, and you're you're spot on about that. The other thing that you're doing with testing is you're gathering data to see if if you were right. Like not only did it work, but do, do I understand the physics um, and the engineering enough to know that, to, to be able to predict for future states, right? Because mm-hmm. you kind of want to make sure you're going to work across a whole range of, of conditions and environments and, and situations. And so you're gathering all this data in order to be able to predict and, and ground your models. And a really important one in that case is what's going to happen when people are flying. Because we can get a sense of, of like kind of what the overall loads and environments are um, when, when in the vehicle, but you want to get an even better sense of what does that feel like to the human body. Um, and so that's where that anthropomorphic um, test unit came from. Um, we said, well, we want to be able to really measure um, a lot of what's going on, the loads and forces that a human body would feel um, in the vehicle um, throughout all the phases of flight, you know, launch and, um, and, and on orbit and docking and especially coming home. Um, and landing in the water. How does all of that, gonna, is, that is it all within our predictions, right? Because we want to make sure that you're staying well within the predictions of what keeps people safe. Um, and so, and so that's, what that, that's what that dummy was there for, and it's fully suited um, in one of the spacesuits, just like we would have with the crew during those dynamic phases of flight. And um, I personally thought that the name was really, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, of my, one of my favorite sets of movies and one of my favorite characters um, and actress is actually um, doing that, uh, so I thought Ripley was really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely a shout out to all those space space geeks out there who have been inspired by space movies all all around the world. <laughs> exactly, I love it. Um, I, I also like the little Earth that was brought up too. That was just a nice a nice thing to for everyone I think to engage in. Yes, that uh, was our, our very compl- complex complex. Uh, Low G sim or uh, test unit, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the microgravity indicator, right? The crew, microgravity the crew even, indicator. Yeah, that's right. You've got it. <laughs> yeah, even the crew does that now. They they love bringing those little trinkets, and it's just a it's just an awesome way to to recognize. Oh my gosh, I'm in space. Wonderful. You know, and it, it, it is important too because um, it, one of the things that's so important in what we do is inspiration. Um, you know, it's always been a mission of NASA's, and I think it's definitely a mission of SpaceX as well. Is that we have to inspire ourselves to want to go do this stuff, to go explore, and 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 to go to the stars, to go to the moon, to go to Mars, and to go further. And and that inspiration comes from those little touches a lot of the times. I mean, we all get super excited like by giant rockets and big engines and lots of space flight, but there's also kind of a, a another side to it. And I'll be honest, one of the images that with little Earth in there. It was little Earth um, in the capsule with the real Earth looking outside the window. That's the first time we've seen Earth outside of a window um, on that dragon. And it was just, and it was so neat to see that and the kind of that juxtaposition. And then especially when the crew was in there with little Earth, there's this sort of, I don't know, almost poetic nature to seeing 
all of that put together. Um, and, and to me, that's part of what we're doing is that that inspiration. Yeah, it's it's something that I think a lot of people can connect with. But I think especially for the SpaceX teams, really, like you said, a, a lot of people worked really, really hard on this mission. So to see that photo, it might just be a moment, but it just shows, man, I worked hard on that. And look, it's in space. There it is. Little Earth floating next to the real Earth. And it's just yeah. a moment, but it means so much to all the teams that work so hard on it. Exactly. You yeah. got it. So what did you learn from uh, from Demo 1? What are the same th- some of this cuz this was an uncrewed flight, right? Where you just on you said gr- collecting data and making sure that everything works. What what do we learn from that flight? So I th- that's a great question and I think um, two of the big things that you really want to learn when you go on orbit um, why do you do an orbital test um, is uh, one is fluid dynamics in microgravity um, and the other one is the behavior of your capsule on entry, descent, and landing, kind of coming coming through the atmosphere, particularly um, upon initial entry. And so, you because you can the kind of the body of knowledge that we have in the industry and here at SpaceX as well that we can pull on. We can do a lot of great modeling and a huge amount of ground tests. We can do right. We can do thermal tests. We can do vacuum chamber tests and thermal vacuum tests, where you're kind of really getting the whole sense of everything. Um, lots of modeling, lots of analysis, but there's just a few things that you kind of really want to make sure you ring out on a system level. Um, and of course, all of it you do, you want to see the whole thing, but the two that come to mind in terms of what we learn about are fluid dynamics and entry, descent, and landing. And fluid dynamics particularly, there's a lot of, um, obviously we have a lot of fuel in, in Dragon, right? We've got our fluids systems in Dragon. You want to see how all of that's going to work together. How does it all behave when you're outside of normal gravity? Um, and then the other thing is the shape of a capsule. We were talking about capsules earlier, mm-hmm. and that's really, really important um, is exactly how that shape interacts with the atmosphere, your angle of entry coming into the atmosphere, um, your control of that as you move through, and then, of course, the, the moment when you can release your chutes um, and come down. All of that's um, pretty dynamic and actually very, very complex physics and behaviors going on there. And it, it, it's hard to model. And, and while, the, you know, I think we're, we're working with the very state-of-the-art um, and some of the very smartest people in these fields, you always want to go through and test that. So those were the two biggest things that I would say that we learned. Um, probably a very close third would be um, the docking itself as well, right? Because that's um, the first time that that docking system was used um, and, um, and, and, and understanding how that would work and that we could basically bring two um, you know, spacecraft together. I, I, I always think of the space station as a spacecraft because it fundamentally is. And how do these two spacecraft come together and actually dock, especially doing it autonomously? Um, we learned a lot from that as well. The truth is, is that all three of those things, again, we, we pretty much kind of nailed the, uh, the data, nailed the, the expect, expectations based on the analysis. The data indicated that. However, it's good to see that, and it's also good to see exactly how, what little pieces that were different than what we planned, we can feed that back into our models and refine them even more. Yeah, and that's really important, right? Because ultimately, like you said, when you, we were talking briefly about when you know NASA and, and SpaceX were talking, what's the mission? It's to take crew safely up to the International Space Station and return them safely to Earth. And having that extra verification that the things that you thought were going to work worked and, you know, here's maybe some other things we can think about along the way, that's super important to make sure you have right before you put a human being inside of it. 
That's exactly right. Yeah. Now I know um, after demo one, you know, the mission wasn't over. I know this was this was something that was in the news was was the anomaly that happened right after, uh, I guess, shortly after splashdown. So what happened there? Yeah. So what was going on there? Um, as we talked about, is uh, our launch escape system, mm-hmm. um, our launch abort system, and what we wanted to do is we want to go into our in-flight abort test. Um, so just a little bit of background on that first. Um, the in-flight abort test is where we take Dragon and we put it on top of a rocket, launch the rocket, and basically kind of get to your worst case conditions, what we call max Q or your maximum dynamic um, uh, conditions on launch. And at, at that point, then you initiate the launch escape system and make sure, again, that you could get the crew away safely in that situation. So we were getting ready to do that, and we were going to use that same capsule that we used for Demo-1 for that launch escape test. And as part of the preparations before that test, we did some refurbishment on the Dragon, just a little bit we needed to do to kind of get ready to fly again. Um, and we put it on a, on a test stand down at the Cape, mm-hmm. and, um, and, we're, and we did an initial test of those 12 Draco engines, um, which went great. Everything came out nominally. And then we were going to do an initial firing of the, um, of the Super Dracos, um, of the eight Super Dracos. And um, just as we were about to initiate that, just as we were initiating that, those, those Super Dracos, there was an anomaly, um, and it resulted in an explosion, and we lost the vehicle. Obviously, that was kind of a big shock um, for all of us, very, very unexpected, um, but also kind of really the reason of why we test. Right? And I talked earlier a little about all the kinds of testing that you do and all the kinds of analyses that you do um, to make sure that you're going to do things right. But at the end of the day, a full system-level test, it's just really hard to beat that. And that's what that was, it was a full system-level test. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we learned a lot. We learned a ton from it. And, and kind of the bottom line of what happened um, there is that what we discovered was, so let me actually back up and give a little bit of background. Um, so there's kind of multiple systems, right, as part of our propulsion system, as part of our um, the, the Draco and Super Draco engines. Um, there's the, the liquid system, the fluid system, right, with your fuels in there. And there's also the gas system. So there's a helium, a high-pressure helium system. And use that high-pressure helium system to keep pressures up as you need to as you're actually operating those engines. So, for example, when you're going to operate the Super Draco engines, you actually need to feed the fuel through those engines at a, at a high rate and a very high pressure. So use this high-pressure helium system to push that... Um, fuel through at the rate that you need. Um, and so what we discovered was that there was a valve that between those two systems that was allowing a little bit of the fluid to leak back into the gas system. And that fluid, just to, just the right amount of fluid had leaked in and kind of had made a little slug, if you will, of liquid, just a little a little bead of the liquid in the in the tubing and the piping of the um, of the gas system. And so then, and that had been that had happened at some point previous to the to when we were going to do the testing, and then when we initiated that test, basically went to open up and pressurize that helium system, it accelerated that slug of fluid um, a lot, and that slug of fluid um, impacted one of the valves um, at high speed, and uh, basically had enough energy to um, to initiate um, an explosion. Hmm. Um, and that was that was eye-opening. And the reason particularly was because over all the years and all of the spacecraft that used these same fluids, these same, these same fuels, and used the same kinds of materials, in this case titanium, um, for, the, for the lines, 
Um, nobody had ever predicted that you could be able to get that kind of reaction. Um, at least it was, it was not, not commonly thought that that was possible. Hmm. Um, and so it's actually kind of industry-leading knowledge that we all gained from this um, and um, have been sharing um, with NASA and with others um, because it's really important that we understand the behavior of this. Now, the, the, the key here is, is that it was accelerated at a really high rate. Um, and so that's part of what, what we needed to figure out was how do we prevent that from happening um, again? Um, and we've already been doing a lot of design, uh, redesign work and, and implementation of those mitigations of those, those fixes. Um, and the simplest thing that, that we've done is and it's always often, often the best thing, the best solution is the simplest solution. And in this case, it turns out to be what we call a burst disk. So instead of, instead of having a valve in place of trying to hold back um, or kind of separate the two systems, we've now added a burst disk um, that will, will prevent, kind of, kind of hermetically seals the two systems from each other so that there's no way that liquid can kind of slowly leak in and create that little slug of propellant. Um, and then when you're ready to actually use the system, um, when you get up to the right pressure, that burst disk does what it sounds like it does. It just bursts and lets the, um, the, the, the gas through so that you can pressurize the rest of the system appropriately. And, um, and we've been doing a significant amount of testing on that on the ground as well. And then we look forward to doing another test of the Super Dracos on the ground again before we do our in-flight abort test. Yeah. They're just, you know, this this goes back to your comment about the value of testing and, and doing this this level. But but that's the value really is you have you identify an issue, you identify a problem, you look at it, you find out what is causing that issue, and you do everything in your power to make sure that it's not going to happen again. And even better, you're sharing the knowledge so that others don't encounter the this, this same problem. It's it's just part of good engineering. And again, going back to the ultimate goal here is is the safety of the crew and the success of the mission. But these are you know that's that's human spaceflight. It's 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 risky business, but at the same time, you're doing so many checks and balances to, to make sure this is going to work. That, that's exactly right. And it, you can't say it enough. I mean, that's why we test. Um, in fact, I had a niece that said that. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was about six, and I was really proud of her. I think she's going to be an engineer <laughs> in the future. Well, well that's... <laughs> that, that's why we test, right? I said that's exactly right. But it, it, it's true because, um, because you learn a lot. And, and I think it was, uh, there was an earlier conversation um, where um, I think the program manager from NASA said that, that you know this is this was a gift, and it is, and, and it's important not to overlook that because we we learned these things. It's hard. It was very hard to have predicted this would happen, both in the system behavior, but also in this sort of fundamental behavior between the fluid and the metal. Um, and and now we know, and now we're much safer because of it. And then here's the other thing that we don't often think a lot about is that when you have a um, you know a major event like that you actually get a lot of other data, too. So the good thing is, because it was a ground test, we were really, basically, really connected up with lots of video and also lots of feeds of, of uh, data coming from the vehicle. So we were able to actually get a sense of how everything else was reacting and, and behaving in this very extreme situation. It's allowed us to go back and look at the whole vehicle and, and actually make it safer as well. So it's not just even the, the primary lessons that you get to learn, but you learn a lot from it. So I'm, I feel a lot more confident um, as, as we move into the next phase. Yeah. Um, 
and that next phase really is I, I think you guys are working hard towards getting getting crew on board and I know one a significant part of that is the training with the crew right we have NASA astronauts going out and working with you guys closely in fact I think I saw recently a picture of them actually suited up in those launch and entry suits so what are they doing what um, how are they how are they interacting with the crew dragon and and uh, and working with you guys sure so um, the crew has been kind of embedded with our team from the very beginning. Mm. Um, even before they were assigned to specific missions or specific providers, um, you know, uh, large groups of the, of the crew members of, uh, were coming out and visiting with us and meeting our, our teams and starting to hear about initial designs. Um, and, and, and that's just been going on continuously. I, you know, I look at the crew as being um, really a part of our team, right? We're all one team. Um, and, and so they need to be engineers with us um, as well as operators with us. I also look at them as being part of the system, right? They have to, the, when the Dragon is up there, um, it, it's one integrated system, and the crew is part of that system that all needs to work seamlessly together. Um, and so to do that, you have to do a lot of knowledge sharing and a lot of practice. And so the kinds of things that they've been doing have been, um, you know, working with our design teams to give input. Um, the, the astronauts come to us with um, a, a huge amount of experience, years and years of experience, both in spaceflight but also in aviation as pilots. Um, and, and with that kind of um, uh, you know, background and knowledge and wisdom, um, they, can, they can help influence designs, both in terms of how they interface um, directly with the vehicle, the kinds of controls that we provide, but also in terms of the kinds of um, just overall you know, system-level design and, and, and test. So we, we get that kind of input from them in conversations, meeting with all of our teams. Then we start to move into the, the more direct training, um, as you mentioned. And a lot of that training begins in kind of tabletop exercises where we have sort of a script of what we're going to do through different phases of flight. You can think of phases like um, launch um, or you know, on orbit or docking or coming home or recovery. And as we look at those phases, we say, well, we need to practice what we're all going to do in those situations. So you start with these tabletop exercises where you walk through, kind of start to write up the procedures, you work with drafts, and you start to add and, and, and evolve those and mature those into something that you're going to use um, on the day of, of your actual operation. Then as, you, as you've evolved those procedures and those processes, what we call the CONOPS, or the operations concept, um, you've also been developing all of your training units. You've been developing your actual flight software, your actual operational software, ground software, um, and you've been developing these great training simulators that we have. So we have this um, Dragon Crew Dragon simulator that we have here that's basically a, a full-blown mock-up of Dragon. It's really cool to sit in, and it's, it's like being inside of the Dragon capsule itself um, with everything that's flight-like in there. And that's fully wired in to our, our ground systems, our ground control systems, our ground um, software systems. It's, it's running itself. It's running um, the, the flight software um, on, on, on flight like avionics. And, um, and then everybody gets to practice that way. And so then you start to move into these full-blown simulations, what we just call sims for short. Um, and in these simulations, you've got the, the astronauts in their suits, in their seats with their calm on, just like you're doing for flight. You've got uh, the, the NASA um, operators down at Houston um, in, their, in their places in mission control. You've got our operators here 
um, in mission control and our mission director um, kind of leading the whole the whole activity and um, and then they're and they're all in calm talking over the uh, what we call the voice loops talking over their their microphones and communication systems and the, the crew with theirs inside of their helmets and, and and off they go and they run a full phase of flight they run all these different scenarios they run through different um, different things that can happen different contingency situations and they run the procedures that they have to do it's really exciting it's a very cool thing to see and we've been doing a number of them already yeah it kind of makes you it, it's it seems kind of real right like you're simulating because you're you're it's it's like a mission it's like actually running a mission what what's going to happen with crew on board and how are the teams going to interact with them but it's cool how astronauts have been you know since involved with the design of how things are going to interact because ultimately it's going to be them actually interacting with the vehicle but then reverse you know here's here's what we here's the input we've taken from you guys and we've put it into this vehicle let's you know let's see let's put together a scenario and and see how you guys perform in it and and that's that's cool that uh, that's coming along because that's coming up in the not too distant future um crews actually interacting with the vehicle as part of this final test flight before before we start a regular cadence of flights right from um from the spacex dragon because that's the ultimate goal is is the dragon's going to take crew launching from america to the international space station as part of a regular cadence of flight right that's exactly right. I mean, ultimately, you know, this goes all the way back to what we were talking about. How is it to interact with NASA and how is this set up? And ultimately, NASA says, hey, we need this service. We need you to do this for us. And in this case, this service is regularly transport crew safely to and from the space station and regularly being kind of on these roughly six-month intervals um, that, are, that are what they call the um, – basically, the, the space station has these different periods of time when they're planning these increments is what they call them. They plan these – um, you know, all of the activities and all of the crew that's going to be doing this work during this increment, mm-hmm. okay? And they, so they need to make sure that the new crew is going to come up in time, the old crew can do a handoff and come home. Um, and, and so there's this, that's that regular cadence that you're talking about because there's so much planning and work that goes into operating the space station efficiently and well to absolutely maximize the use of that resource and the crew's time on board that national lab. It's really important. So it's important that they know, yep, this crew is going to come up, and we know what the crew is, we know when they're going to come, and they're going to show up there on time, and then they're going to be able to go home on time. Um, ultimately, that's the service that we're providing. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's a service, but it is a it is a partnership like you like you mentioned too, because it has to do with the flight control teams and 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 SpaceX working together hand in hand with the flight control teams here at, at Mission Control Houston and making sure that the International Space Station and SpaceX are are flying in sync. And it sounds like you've been doing sims to to work all of that. Um, we talked about when it comes to actually launching SpaceX, launching from Florida. You know, you're a Sending and, and going and meeting up with the International Space Station, returning, I believe, I believe in the Atlantic, right? Are you returning into the Atlantic? That's where Dragon's going to land. That's right. That's okay. right. We're yeah. coming from on the East Coast. Okay. Yeah, and um, so so we're getting ready for that and all the operations that have to do with recovery and, and communications, and that's all coming up soon. What do we have to look forward to in the near future um, when it comes to Dragon and, 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 and seeing crew launch from the International Space Station? Or at least, what's next for the crew Dragon in terms of testing before we get ready that, for that flight? That, that, that's great. Those are great questions. And yeah. actually, just to kind of segue a little bit with that, one thing you mentioned, I heard you said there about was, you know, was this partnership that we've been working together. And it's a point I really like to emphasize. I don't think we talk about it enough. And it goes to the heart of your question about what testing is coming up. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that every time we fly a cargo mission 
For example, we've got CRS-19 coming up. That is also another practice run in this partnership of operations. Um, it's, it's easy to kind of forget that, that we've actually been practicing um, a form of human spaceflight and, and, and joint human spaceflight operations um, since the very beginning of the cargo program. Because every time Dragon gets close, gets close to space station, um, um, and then has to come and berth the space station, and then the crew gets on board and starts to unload all the cargo and put it back in, those are fully joint operations with NASA. So the good news is we've actually been practicing a lot of that from the beginning um, and practicing what it is to do that. And the only difference now is that we're actually going to have the crew on board from launch and all the way back home, and that joint operation that we're doing kind of expands out to that time from the moment the crew reaches the pad to the moment when we hand them back off at home. Um, and so we get to see another one of those coming up soon, um, uh, which is great. So we'll see uh, the, the next CRS mission um, come up. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing um, that we'll be doing after that is you're going to see um, the uh, in-flight abort. We're going to be doing, again, that, that static fire test, um, repeat that ground-level test um, on Dragon, the one that's going to go up for the in-flight um, abort test. Then we'll do the in-flight abort test itself, which, again, is where we go on top of the rocket and launch the rocket and, um, and then launch escape or escape the, the Dragon from, from the vehicle, from the Falcon 9. Um, and then after that is Demonstration 2 or Demo 2, and that is the first mission to carry people um, on board with our two crew members, Bob and Doug. Mm-hmm. And then, as you know, assuming this mission goes according to plan and, and we can ne- go into the next phase, which is, you know, now, now we are... You know, we have this service. SpaceX Dragon is carrying crews to and from the International Space Station, launching launching from from Florida. That's that's really exciting to think about. That that's that's in our future. That's in our near future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm very excited about that. And that's that's the real prize, right? I mean, number one is is getting um, getting the crews there there and home safely. Um, but but really, that that big prize is doing that, but on this reliable cadence. Of, of operating and, and providing station with operational crews. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's coming up soon. Um, we'll see that engage this coming year. Yeah, I am, I am very, very much looking forward to this next era of human spaceflight. Benji Reed, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, going into excruciating detail on all things uh, Crew Dragon. I definitely appreciate it. I love asking all these questions and learning more, and it's, uh, it really is an exciting time. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to getting this thing, um, carrying crews to and from the International Space Station. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Benji Reed. These uh, missions are going to be coming up here in the near future, so stay tuned on NASA TV. You can watch all of our mission live. We talked a little bit about our joint coverage that we'll be doing, and we'll be doing it soon here in the near future. Again, NASA TV, you can go to nasa.gov slash NTV. Uh, You can also subscribe to our social media channels. We'll be putting stuff out on there, on the uh, International Space Station, NASA Johnson Space Center, and of course, NASA pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want all things commercial crew, nasa.gov slash commercial crew. And if you want all things NASA podcast, nasa.gov slash podcast. 
On social media, if you use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform, you can submit an idea for the show. Just make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. We'll try our best to bring it right here. This episode was recorded on August 20th, 2019. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Kelly Humphreys, Kyle Herring, Ava Behrend, and Dan Hewitt. Thanks again to Mr. Benji Reed for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.